Hey, let's pray together. Uh, Dear Lord, may your grace uh, be enough. If we don't understand your grace, then help us to know it. And and that grace is that uh, we don't uh, deserve what we get, uh, which is uh, is life and eternal security uh, in heaven and forgiveness uh, and power by your spirit. So you are about grace, and uh, most of us don't get it because we think that we're already good enough, and so I pray that you would convict us to see our our need for you, that we can't do it on our own, that our hearts are dark uh, without you, Uh, and when we see that, then then grace is is really good, Uh, and it impacts our lives, our families, uh, marriages if we're married, uh, our kids. Uh, but we got to see that we need it, and, and we got to see our our position uh, that is uh, that is in sin, uh, and that you came for us. So, show us that uh, in your Word, by your Spirit, or uh, by others here today. And thank you, Jesus, in your name, Amen. Thank you all. Y'all can have a seat. Uh, you can turn with me to First Peter chapter three. First Peter chapter three. We're we're in a series uh, that we call in. Not of. Uh, in this series, we're going through uh, all of Peter's letter, uh, which is First Peter, uh, to a church. Actually, it's a church uh, in Rome at the time. And, and really, it's a, this is one of my favorite uh, books or letters in the Bible because it's, it's a very clear for Christians, how do we live? And a way of saying how we live is, is a phrase that, that I've heard a lot, maybe you have, of, you know, Christians are to live in the world and not be of it. Now that, uh, I've always heard that and thought of it as a very, as, as a negative statement. You know, well, I'm in the world, but you know, I, I can't be of these things. And, and that is, uh, that's bad, that's painful because they're things that I enjoy and, and would like to do, but yet, you know, I can't. So I'll be in it, but I'm just, I'm not of it. I can't participate in some things. And I, and I often think a lot of Christians think of it like that, that it's a negative. But what if, and I say this every week, for the message, because this is the really the, the glasses or the worldview that I want to see. I want you to see this, this letter out of. What if it's a positive thing to be in, not of? That you're part of something bigger and better and greater. But God has specifically placed you and us uh, in a certain time and place and city and family and home and house. And it's for a reason. And we don't know everything, but we know that He will use us. Uh, in this time and in this place. And so it, it's really, the Holy Spirit's convicted me in, not of, and not look at it as a negative, but as a positive, that we're part of a greater kingdom. We're citizens uh, of another country, as C.S. Lewis would say, of that kingdom. And we are to be in, not of, and show people that there is a, a better way, a better life uh, from all this searching around and running around in the, in the rat race or the hamster wheel of trying to keep up with the Joneses and all that. and just We get exhausted. And I, I get exhausted. I know you're exhausted. And so what the Bible says, why we say we want to know the Bible, is that there is a way, a truth, and a life, and it begins and never ends in Jesus Christ. So today we talk about one of the toughest areas of being in and not of, and that is marriage. Marriage. Why is that tough? Because, you know, we would think that, you know, marriage is, is good, actually, one of the, I think, the big goals that our culture, both 
in our nation and also in Metro Jackson puts forth is, is the goal of life, you know, is to have a happy, perfect marriage and, you know, whatever the white picket looks like and perfect kids and, you know, if they're guys, you know, they're, they're stud jock athletes and, you know, if they're girls, they're, I don't know, they're beautiful or win beauty con- you know, that, that, that is the goal. And if we don't meet that, then, and by the way, that, I mean, that is kind of the goal that the culture puts forth. And if we don't meet that, then we can feel shame, we can feel not up to snuff, so to speak. So one of the toughest ways of being in and out of is, is in marriage. Now, it's difficult inside the marriage, so with the husband and, and wife, because, I mean, there are challenges. Uh, you know, I, uh, and I think I've said this before, and if I, if I haven't, I, I don't, uh, don't mind admitting. I mean, I, I go to counseling. Uh, we go to counseling. Uh, sometimes it's us. Uh, sometimes it's me. Uh, a lot of pastor mentors that I admire uh, and have shaped me go to counseling. I highly recommend counseling. It, uh, uh, it helps. Uh, sometimes it's good, and other times it can be, uh, it can be quite uh, convicting, and, and that's a good thing too. Uh, I say all that because our counselor that we go to said, you know, there are three big components uh, that every marriage needs. I agree with this. I mean, this is not the Bible, but this is what uh, the counselor says. Marriage needs uh, passion, intimacy, and commitment. Uh, and often, uh, you know, the guy can lean on the passion end, wanting that, and the uh, lady or the wife can lean on the intimacy end and lean on that. Uh, and sometimes, hopefully, both have commitment, but sometimes neither have commitment, and the husband still wants the passion, and the wife wants the intimacy, and neither have commitment. <laughs> And that can be a tough road. Or you could have two of the three. Uh, so like if the husband has that, man, I'm committed, have the passion, but struggles uh, with the intimacy. Which I think of intimacy as like emotional intimacy and uh, friendship. And I'll be honest, and she, you know, that's, that's, my, that's my weak link, the emotional intimacy deal. And often the wife can be strong in the emotional intimacy and the commitment. And man, it can just get, it gets complicated. So that's, that's an internal thing. Uh, something else, you know, that, that can be challenging in marriages, and I always say this primarily, you know, the three biggest issues that can come up for a fight, I still believe this, uh, can be finances, in-laws, uh, and or sex, you know. And that, those are three big potential fighting areas. So that's in the marriage, okay? Now there's a challenge of in, not of, in the marriage, outside the marriage. And here's what I mean by that. It's like how the world use marriage. Because right now, I mean, as we know, marriage is being redefined first. So, you know, a biblical view of marriage is, and and will continue to totally be redefined, by the way. Uh, And secondly, not only that, but it's it's redefined just from saying, well, I don't take it that seriously. I mean, divorce is an option. I mean, mean, it's, it's always on the table. So there's that too. And then also, especially with, uh, uh, with young kids, I mean, they're not kids, but, you know, young adults, whatever. It's, you know, well, what's the point of getting married? Uh, I mean, you don't see this as much here, but I think it's growing and will continue to grow. I mean, why should I get married? I mean, why, you know, with all the divorces, and oh, by the way, those hypocritical Christians, you know, who divorce, actually the stats show. I mean, we divorce more than anybody else. I mean, why should I go down this road and how about just shacking up together? And if it doesn't work out, you know, Nothing big lost, which is a lie. Uh, so you have 
outside of individual marriages, this, this big challenge of just how we, we go about it. So I say all this, and it did, it, you know, it fell on this. Today's um, our anniversary, and uh, it's been, oh, thank you, thank you. I appreciate it. We need the applause, the encouragement, you know. So we do. <laughs> no, but it's good. Uh, it, uh, 12 years, and I will say this, because I wanted to preach on marriage today. Because I knew I had to preach on it, because Peter writes specifically on it. But I will say, it is, and I've heard other pastors say this, and I, I do believe it. It's the greatest sanctification tool. Sanctification is growing in Christ. Uh, that, that I've definitely, I mean, there, there's no comparison. I mean, over and above church or a group or the marriage will sanctify you and uh, so thankful at 12 years and hopefully a lot more Uh, but let's look at first Peter and what he says about marriage and I'm going to read it and then we're going to break it down starting with verse one and we're going to go through verse seven today likewise wives be subject to your own husband's So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. All right, let's stop there. Okay. Now then, let me say this before we move on and break down this passage. The Bible, I'm just giving you some context, okay? The Bible's very, very clear on marriage. It's, and it's clear throughout. So first off, Genesis 2, 24, should put this on screen. Yeah, all of human history opens up with marriage. And actually, I always say this, is, this one verse is the best pre- and post-marital advice that I or anyone else can ever give. One verse. And it says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast or cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Very simple, but there has to be a leaving of the prior family, not totally cutting you off, of course not, but that now this new unit, this new family, this spouse is most important, and they are one flesh, two becoming one. Uh, Simply said, pretty tough to do. Uh, especially, you know, with different histories and uh, different walks in life and different in-laws and, and all that stuff. But that, the Bible opens up there. Here's the thing. Jesus, when asked about marriage, he quotes that verse in all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So when he's asked about marriage, he always refers back to that verse. So the Bible's very clear. Paul, in Ephesians 5, talking about marriage, we're going to read this here in a minute, he refers to this verse, again. First uh, Corinthians that we're going through in Wednesday Night Equip has a, a lot of talking about marriage. So, so the Bible throughout has a lot 
of clarity about how we should be in marriage. Now, First Peter here, he is talking to the church then, but also the church today by the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, you know, this is what, they're challenged, but this is what a good marriage looks like. Now, all that to say, you know, you may be here and you have gone through a divorce. Uh, and we have several brothers and sisters uh, in that ca- category. You may be here and you are single. And you may be here and be like, I don't know if marriage, you know, is even in my future. So I'm here on the marriage, you know, Sunday or the marriage sermon, you know, thanks, you know. Here's what I would say to encourage all of us. Uh, first off, I think that we as a church, and, and I hope to do this and grow in this more, we, we, one, we don't do a good enough job by promoting singleness as like a viable position in life. Because the Bible certainly did, and Paul certainly did. He actually said, we're looking at this in 1 Corinthians, I'd prefer you to be single and stay single. The culture, as I said earlier, we put forth, you know, perfection is, you know, get married, check. You know, children, definite check. You know, maybe multiple children, you know, home, look this way. I mean, that's what we put forth. The Bible doesn't put that forth. Okay? That, that's not... So, so what I'm saying, if you're divorced here, uh, if you're not yet married here, if you're like, I don't know if I'm going to get married... The Bible does not put that goal as, you know, the priority, as, as number one, numero uno, this is life's goal. The Bible does not. The New Testament, the New Testament church put forth the goal is to strengthen everybody, singles, divorced, married, through the family of Christ, that this here, as Christians, is to be the greater family. And this is the biblical goal, okay? To prepare before Jesus comes back. That's, that's the priority of the Bible. And so I don't think the church does a good enough... You know, we, you'll have churches, and we've tried not to do this. I mean, maybe for better or worse, you know, you have the single group, or, you know, you know this group, or... You know, we all, honestly, I think, need to, need to come together. So where, you know, marrieds are ministering to singles, and marrieds are ministering to folks walking through divorce, and we're ministering to everyone. And if you have been divorced, I, I would really say this, too. I mean... First Peter is trying to put forth here in chapter 3, you know, this is what, and I would say this, I mean, this is what a, a good marriage looks like. Good being, you know, this is how we should live in the world and not of it, Christians. As I do think this is very, very good practical advice. And I know some brothers and sisters who have gone through divorce, been through divorce, and, and I am, and I talked to one of them, uh, a brother, you know, this week. I mean, I'm praying for you specifically uh, to find uh, a spouse, uh, a godly woman. I'm going to continue that. and you know, So we want there to be closeness, a close-knitness, a community here that we walk together with a single married divorce. We need that. Okay? But I do think we need to look at this passage. And so it's saying here, <clears throat> you know, this, is, this is practical advice. These are steps you know, in, in a marriage uh, and for life in, uh, in, in how we should how we should go about it if we're married or if we're looking to get married. And so I want to go through really just a couple verses at a time again. First off, verse 1 and 2, look at this. It says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of your wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Two things here I want to 
hone in on. First, subject. Okay, definitely some in, not of stuff there because the world would look at this and be like, yeah, man, you know, just, you know, those, you know, Christians, they think they're better than us. And, you know, you know, the dudes become chauvinist and like, you know, you know, the wives. I mean, you just, you can imagine. I mean, or maybe I imagine this like, you know, the dude got the remote, like, hey, you know, give me, you know, give me my food. And you know, he's got the, the, quote, wife beater on and, you know, six pack in the fridge. And, you know, come on, man. You know, but, you know, that's, that's a lot of folks, you know, they, they hear that and that's automatically what they go to. And of course, that's not it. So you're like, well, what is it? Okay, well, first off, the church has to stress that male and female are equal. I mean, Genesis you know, we went to the verse, Genesis 2.24, but earlier it says, God created them male, female, equal. There is equality in God's creation of male and female. Secondly, being a Christian and being the church, redefine then, and it should be now, what it meant to be male and female. Uh, look at Galatians 3.28. Put this verse up on there too. Um, some of you have know this verse. It's actually on our wall out in the hall. Part of it is. Uh, anyway, it says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. And it says neither male nor female, because at that time, there were definitely categories of male and female, and, and the men were like up here, and females like way, way down. And so immediately, if you're a Christian of the church, they try to bring them up like this. You're an equal standing in God's eyes. And so actually, it, it really... It's harmful, in my opinion, when a lot of folks try to put down the church for being negative on females when the church has always and should elevate uh, women uh, and females. Now, but it does say you should be subject because God is a God of order. And there's an order in everything. We're going to look at this in Ephesians 5 in just a moment. But there's an order, and so there is leadership. There's leadership in a church. We've talked about that. Biblical leadership is elders. There's leadership in a marriage. Should be very godly, and we're going to go to husbands here in a minute. But I, I'll give you an example about, I'm going to use a few stories of, of our marriage and what we try to do. It's not always successful, but we do try it, and, and I, um, I applaud my wife for, you know, um, for our efforts in this. But we always say, hey, we want to go into any issue, any, um, any goal, uh, and if we get to a point where it's a 50-50, we disagree, you know, and we just can't, you know, there's no clarity. And, and she said, you know, if it's really, if it come down, it's 50-50, we're just not, she's like, I'll let you make the final call. So that's, that's kind of how we live out this, because I definitely uh, respect and I definitely uh, love her insight, and I want to get that on decisions. And usually we can come together, but if we can't at a 50-50 point, then she'll like, you know, I'll give you a final call. And I don't know if we've ever really... I don't know if that's ever really happened. <laughs> Not that you didn't give it, but I mean, like, I think we always came together. So don't hear that the wrong way. So <laughs> she would always give it, yeah. But that's one way that we look at it. There is that mutual respect and honoring, which is key. That's, again, just how we take it. Now, one thing that she does do, and I want to highlight this, and I know some of you other wives do this too, because I know your husbands. Uh, it says, even if some do not obey the word, and we have had some husbands here. They said they were Christians, but I might, not that I ever, I don't see the heart, but you know, you might could argue that fact. And the wives were really walking. And so they've been right in this situation. They may be won by 
the conduct of their wives without a word, it says, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. And this is, uh, I actually said this at, at a wedding. Re- I haven't always said this verse. I said it at, I think at Colin and Mallory's wedding. I said this very verse, uh, tied to, because it ties to the whole, you know, the wives be subject. But sometimes, you know, a husband, and I wasn't trying to pick on Colin here, but sometimes the husband can be like, I'm going to do my own thing. And, you know, I'm not walking, you know, you just see that they're not walking with the Lord. Well, the wife, when she is walking with the Lord, I mean, this is, this is biblical. So I think the, not only the Bible matters, but like the very verse Holy Spirit can use, and then a husband or man, you know, see her and see this verse and be very convicted and be won over through her example. And so the wife, and this happens over and over again. You know, I wish, honestly, it wouldn't that husbands and even me would take on more of the mantle of spiritual headship and leadership. But to use, you know, Linda's example, there have been times where, you know, I've seen her and her example has been a witness to me of, you know, how I need to, you know, either get something in gear or do things a different way. So I say that for you wives, you definitely can be used by the Lord even without speaking. You know, like, how do you say that? Well, the Bible says that. We believe the Bible here. We're teaching the Bible here. And that can happen. And I do pray for those because we have had husbands who are just off in left field and wives. Just keep praying that God can fix them. Let's move on into this passage. Look at verse 3 and 4. Uh, and this is external versus internal here. It says, don't let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Real quick, we see the external, God sees the internal. Uh, we find things that are attractive on the external, God finds what's attractive on the internal. I ask us all a question, you know, you know what do we look for uh, in a spouse? I mean, what do we find attractive? And, you know, talk about being in, not of. I mean, the world would say, well, outside, you know, is most important. And we don't ever claim that, you know, but in our, we would say outside, is most important. But really, what the Bible says is let it be the internal of the heart. Now, use another example here in our marriage, and this is early on, we were dating, we weren't even engaged yet, but something that did strike me, and I'm, I mean, I think jewelry's great. I know, you know, a lot of folks uh, love jewelry, wear jewelry, sell jewelry. I mean, that's all good. I think keep it in perspective. I mean, these are some good verses to keep in perspective and mindful of that. Uh, My wife, when we were dating, she didn't wear a lot of jewelry, Really hardly any at all. And here's what really, this, this did, you know, in the whole trajectory of, you know, we go through this. You know, should I be married to her? Or should I propose? Or, you, know, you know what I'm saying, guys. You know, you start thinking that, well, this is a big thing. She didn't wear hardly any jewelry. My brother, my brother didn't have a lot of money. And he was going through it. This is like 2003 and still didn't have a lot of money. But anyway, he had like nothing then and, and brought her home for Christmas. He gave her a gift that was uh, just a simple, you know, we, some would say cheap, you know, so just giving you perspective, simple cross. And, and she began, the only thing she would wear jewelry-wise is that cross, uh, you know, over, you know, the, the next year. I don't know if you still got it or not. And that really, really, you know, just moved me, touched me, that, you know, what she saw is, 
you know, most important, and wouldn't do it to, you know, help my brother see, but, you know, that mattered to her, and it mattered to her life, and so I, I use that example to, we put so much on the, on the outside, and beauty's good, and, you know, God created us all beautiful, and beauty is a gift, but at the same time, it is the heart that matters most. Verse 5 and 6, this is kind of weird, and I want to go over it real quickly. I mean, it talks about Sarah and Abraham. You're like, why does he bring up Sarah and Abraham? Well, here's what's interesting. One, for Christians, you can track, there's a historical line back to even Abraham and Sarah. That we could, I know this shocker, tie with rise with God, read your Bible, but we can trace our lineage, you know, back there. And then also, here's the deal, Sarah would always follow Abraham. God called Abraham to a different land, to a foreign land. Sarah followed. Abraham, if you know your Sunday school stories, Abraham actually lied twice to people saying Sarah was his sister because he was afraid. And Sarah did not. Now, Sarah had other issues, but Sarah followed. And where Abraham was fearful, Sarah was strong. So that's why I think that Peter gives this illustration, going back to Abraham, that Sarah was a godly woman who followed, got rewarded with a child in his own way that was Isaac. And even when Abraham was lying, Sarah was like, you know, I'm with you. Even when Abraham was like, you know, Sarah was probably like, man, you're just, man, it's off, dude. Sarah stayed with him. I want to close up with husbands because the last verse, Peter talks about husbands and Look at this. It says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Three words there that, that convict. Really four, but understanding way. Men. So I'm talking to men now. I know women are listening. And they need to be listening because I want you to think about, do your husbands do this? And hopefully the Lord will help you convict them. But do we try to understand our wives? Like their background, their needs. What, what's caused them to, I don't know, have these thoughts or act in this way? Or do, do we try to understand them? Or are we just always living in the moment? Do we try to understand them? Honor. I have not always honored my wife. I have not. Uh, not perfect, not claiming to be perfect, but, you know, do we honor her? Do we, do we elevate our wives? You know, that's why this whole thing about being subject in Ephesians 5, I'm, we're not going to have time today, I'm not going to get into it. Ephesians 5, 25 through 33, it talks about husbands, you know, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wash, it talks about the washing of them with the word. And, you know, I've heard other pastors talk about this washing that, you know, in that day, you know, the washing of someone was very, very important. Do you wash the wounds of your wife? Do you cleanse them? Because we are all wounded people. Do we take that time to understand and then honor and cleanse the wounds with words? I think, I think a lot of husbands would say, you know, I haven't always honored my spouse. Here it says, understand, honor. You know, the women, the woman, the wife wants to be honored. She is wounded. They want us to take time to understand and try to try to cleanse the wounds. 
this stuff convicts me on my anniversary. And, you know, I can, I can be better. We can be better. Men, husbands, as spiritual leaders. Wives, you, may, you, may, you probably do deserve better. And so may the Holy Spirit convict us all. Uh, and then last, uh, well, actually not last, sorry, heirs. Heirs, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. You know, one thing that, you know, studying through that verse, and, and this image came to mind, and so I want to share it. It's from a fictional book, and then a fictional movie was made out of the book. I love the book, encourage you to read. It's called The Robe, uh, The Robe, and it's about the soldier who won the robe of Christ while he was gambling for it, you know, at the foot of the cross. And then the story is like, what? and I, and I love this stuff in the Bible, like, you know, I wonder, you know, you never hear the rest of the story, as, you know, old school Paul Harvey would say. And you know what happened to the rest of the story, the guy that won the robe of Christ? And, well, this is a fictional account, but it's cool, uh, written by a pastor about, you know, what happened to that guy? And anyway, if you, and I'm going to give away the end of the movie, so forgive me, but it's still, it's, it's, it doesn't, it, it's still great. Anyway, but by the end of it, he does fall for a Christian lady, falls in love in Rome. He ends up in Rome. He's a Roman soldier and falls and gets involved in the church there, becomes a Christian. But there's a scene. It's not in the book. It's in the movie. They both end up getting martyred, which is they both get up, end up getting killed. They don't show the killing, but the, the emperor, uh, you know, they're on trial and they stand firm and they're convicted. He and his wife. And the last scene in the movie, and, you know, I'm all cheddar like this. I get cold chills. I mean, they're walking, they're walking forward you know, knowing to death, but the way the movie and the music, you know, they're walking to glory. And I've always thought about, I mean, in both of my own marriage, you know, we, we, we don't always choose when we'll go home, and we probably, we, there are many marriages that don't go home together, some do. But I always thought about this, heirs, you know, walking together into the kingdom. And do you, do you see your marriage like that? Uh, I do now. You know, hopefully, you know, we've got a lot of time together, and the Lord wouldn't call one home too soon. But still, like you're going into the kingdom together because you're, you know, you're seen as going through this life together. And, you know, marriage is, is not in eternity. Uh, I know, I, you know, that's, Jesus said it, you know, that, you know, marriage is just for the here and now. It's not for the, the world to come. I know that makes some folks go like, yeah, okay. But, uh, but, but no, seriously, it's, a, it's an earthly structure that was created by God, you know, as a blessing. And that we're heirs together. So think about, you know, that you're walking into the kingdom together. And then it says, if you don't do this, your prayers are going to be hindered. A mentor, actually the man who married us, he always said this, if it's not going well in your marriage, it's not going to go well anywhere else. Your prayers will be hindered. Your life will be hindered. So true. Wrap it up here today. I want to put it in the broader context. You're like, okay, you know, good marriage advice, Bible and marriage, but again... The broader picture of the church. See, here's the deal. If you're having trouble with your marriage, or if you're like, I don't know what marriage is. I don't know if I'm going to be married. I don't know if I'm going to be married again. You know, what does it look like? Marriage, and this is also one of the big parts about why God created marriage, why we have it. It is a reflection. It's a reflection, like a mirror reflects, of what Jesus has done and is doing with his people, which is the church. Because the church is called the bride of Christ over and over again. And at the very end, and I want to put this verse up on screen, Revelation 21, verse 1 and 2, also verse 9, but that's not going to be up on the screen. Revelation 21, 1 and 2. And I believe this is coming, okay, with all my heart. And 
I believe it's coming. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, which would be us, the church, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Jesus is the husband. The church, us, is the bride of Christ. Ephesians 5 goes into this too. Again, read Ephesians 5. And it says that Jesus is, is like the husband. And what did he do for the church? He gave his life for the church. So marriage, and you can read a lot about marriage, is a reflection, a godly biblical reflection of Jesus' love for you and me, what he's done, what he is doing, what he will do. So if you're having trouble with your marriage, it's real simple. Look to Jesus. Read the Bible. Read it more. Come to church. Talk about these things. There is an explicit Big, again, reflection in a personal marriage with the big-time marriage of Jesus and his church and his people. He loves us that much. And I do believe, you're like, well, how does that help? Well, in my opinion, that inspires me to personally strengthen my marriage. It also inspires me of what God, how much love he has for you. He loves you that much. I mean, the most awesome, the most perfect marriage, I mean, he wants us to dwell with him and in dwelling with him, our marriages can be changed. And in dwelling with Him, if you're single, it gives you actually a new insight to be like, hey, my marriage, either a potential marriage, a hope-for marriage, a marriage that is just, you know, in the wasteland, that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is my, and I'll use this term, marriage with Christ and what He has done. And when you're in the middle of that, that changes everything else. Whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you're divorced, Go there, and the problem, the big problem is, and with this, most of us dwell here. Well, I'm divorced. I don't know what's going to happen. You know, I'm, I'm on my second divorce. Who knows what's going to happen? Do I ever get married again? I, I'm single. Well, I, you know, it's life. I mean, I can't get a job. I'm single. You know, it's just like, oh, my goodness. The world's saying do this. I'm married. The marriage is just like in, you know, in, in the gutter. You know, let's move over here, okay? The marriage of Christ. It's, it's what you have to do. It's what I have to do. It's what we have to do. If you're over here in this world, you're just going to, at best, tread in water. So I'm going to close in prayer, and you have an opportunity today to move here, okay, in communion. Because it shows you what he did. He gave his life for you. I don't know if any of you had ever had anyone die for you. You have in Jesus. If you had someone here in this world life who died for you, you'd be like, man, it's such a big deal, man. That's it. You did, Okay? Christ. Maybe know that. May it change our our lives, whether married, single, and divorced. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving your life, for loving us as the perfect husband. And it's for everyone, for your church. May we see it now. In Jesus' name, amen.